owner of 24.75% general shares and a 1% manager share. A dense thicket of legal filings, designed by Beck's bulldog lawyer, Phineas P. Dunlavey, stood between Beck and public knowledge of his ownership. Dunlavey was a thorough man, the same man who had taken up Beck's cause while Beck was serving 10 to 25 years for first-degree manslaughter. Dunlavey had pursued justice for Beck, had burned through Beck's last dollar, but had restored that dollar many times over by winning a settlement for wrongful conviction that netted James Beck $2.1 million, a large part of which Beck used to buy the old bar and the three-story building that housed it, and a small part of which he used to make sure nobody knew about it. The other partners were a very select group of three men. Manny Guzman, DeMarco Jones, and Ciro Baldessari. The only patrons Beck allowed into his waterfront hangout were members of his network, and a few misfits from the neighborhood he tolerated because they either interested him or because they needed something he felt like giving them like the twenty-pound sealed bags of ground meat scraps and bones he gave to a wild-haired Greek woman who collected the free mash of protein for the wild neighborhood dogs she fed. Beck liked her spirit. And every once in a while, he needed a good way to get rid of ground meat and bones. Or the shots of Jameson DeMarco doled out to Arnold, an aging alcoholic who checked into Beck's bar much like he would to a hospital emergency room. Beck allowed him to sit and sip his Jameson if he remained quiet and didn't smell too bad. There were others who stepped into Beck's bar, but not many. If they were people Beck didn't like or know, they were quickly told they had entered a private bar not open to the public. When told this by DeMarco Jones, very, very few did anything other than apologize and leave. But this morning, something else had entered Beck's enclave, something that had set Manny Guzman on a dangerous path. Emmanuel Manny Guzman kept the old Red Hook place clean to the core. No grime, no stink of beer, barely a hint of dust anywhere. And windows polished to a gleam every other week. Even the glass and frames holding faded photos of ship hands and dock scenes were shined to a gleam. Even the insides of drawers were clean all the way to the back. And everything in working order, the plumbing, the light fixtures, everything. There was no slippage with Manny Guzman. If Manny wanted something done, it was done. Shit, Beck thought. He turned and headed back to the bar kitchen, where he knew Guzman would be sitting, waiting for him. But before he had gone three steps, something hard cracked into the plate-glass window that fronted Conover Street. It was a brutal, disturbing sound that made Beck turn back and curse. Christ, now what? He strode quickly to the front of the bar and saw a crack that ran diagonally from the left lower corner of the window to almost the middle. DeMarco joined Beck at the window. The bottom third was painted black, so that passers-by couldn't see in. But they were both tall enough to see a beat-up van parked outside across the street. 
four black gangbangers in various sizes stood around one huge, heavily muscled thug who yelled, James Beck, come out here before I come in after you. Beck grabbed a leather shearling jacket from the coat peg near the front door. He looked at DeMarco and nodded. DeMarco moved fast in the opposite direction, toward the back of the barroom. Beck, seething, walked out his front door and stood on the sidewalk across from the rock thrower, breathing deeply, giving himself time to burn off the flight-or-fight hormones coursing through him, forcing the rational part of his brain to start working. Four of them flanked the big man, two on each side. He dwarfed all of them standing a few steps out near the middle of the street, wearing a black leather hoodie, unzipped to reveal a torso bulging with muscle under a tight white T-shirt.